The reading is from Romans 14, starting at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. And uh, let's echo what we've sung uh, in a verbal prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us understand this part of your wonderful letter to the Romans. And in understanding it, we pray that you would uh, occupy our hearts, you'd reign supreme in them, so that we live now dependent upon your grace, serving you wholeheartedly, we ask. Amen. Uh, well, then, we uh, said uh, last time that this uh, chapter, or this little section in the book of Romans, is really answering the question, how do we handle church disputes? So what a crazy title. How do we handle church disputes too? Uh, we're looking at the second part of this chapter. Now, some might be here and thinking, you may have missed last week, or you may be just here and been here last week and be thinking, well, it's a bit weird, isn't it, this church? I mean, what a title, you know, what a topic to talk about. I mean, if I go to church, I want love and joy. And here they are talking about what they do when they argue. I mean, what a miserable place to be. But of course, that's nonsense. Uh, all the way back from uh, chapter 12 uh, onwards in the book of Romans, Paul has been spelling out the practical implications of being a Christian. He's basically said, look, yeah, after, we're talking now, we've become Christians, now what difference does that make, chapter 12 onwards? How do we practically love one another? And this is just an expression of that. When, in a church, you disagree on something, what are you going to do? That's just an expression of love. Because we disagree over stuff. It happens. So it's eminently practical. And this chapter 14 is um, a dispute, then, on disputable matters, or matters of opinion. What do we do when we disagree over things which, well, you know, they're, they're peripheral, slightly, they're disputable. They're matters of opinion. How do we go about uh, relating to one another when that's the case? 
But of course, that throws up a, perhaps a prior question. How do you know when something is a disputable matter or when it's very important? What is or when is something disputable? Well, it seems to me that uh, the Bible would say something is disputable when it declares it to be or when it's silent on the matter. That drops into the bucket or category disputable, matter of opinion. So some things the Bible declares to be just a matter of opinion, a matter of indifference slightly. So, for example, the issue of circumcision. Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 7, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, only keeping the commandments of God. What do you think about circumcision, Paul? Well, look, it doesn't enormously matter. Do it or don't do it, that's up to you. See, he's declared there. It's a matter of indifference. Uh, so there with chapter, uh, So here in chapter 14 of the book of Romans, if you look back to verse 6, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains from meat does so to the Lord and give thanks, gives thanks to God. But whether you eat meat or not, it doesn't really matter. It's a matter of opinion or disputable. Do you see, so that on these issues, the Bible has declared them. That goes in the bucket, the category, disputable matter. So there's the first block when the Bible declares it. Secondly, I think it's a disputable matter when... The Bible is silent on it. Now, I'll warn this in a moment, but the Bible doesn't declare on a whole number of things. Do you want in church organ music, rock music? Well, the, the Bible doesn't declare on that question. It's silent. I mean, it's a matter of opinion. It's a disputable matter. Now, you may feel strongly about some things, but the Bible doesn't say, for example, men must have mullets, or must have crew cuts, or must not have mullets. Now, you may feel strongly on that sort of issue, personally, <laughs> rightly, but you see what I mean? <laughs> the Bible doesn't declare on it. So no matter how strongly you feel on the issue, it's a disputable matter. It's a matter of opinion. So, you know, that's, that's helpful. It's some things that the Bible declares upon or is silent upon. You, you could declare them as disputable. But then, sometimes it's unhelpful just to have these two categories. Something is disputable, or it's not. Because it's a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Life is a bit more complicated. There aren't just those issues upon which you think, um, the Bible is quiet, and then those issues which you think, I'd, I'd die for that one. You know, there's, there's a bit of grey in between. So it may be helpful to think in bit of terms of, uh, a bit like this, a bit like a, an archery target. Uh, have we got that, Tom? So there we go. Does that even remotely sharp? Just about. Just about. It may be helpful to think in these sort of terms. So in the centre of the target, you could have central truths of the faith. Those are core, non-negotiable. We must have agreement on them. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ as a way of knowing the Father. The um, authority of Scripture. I mean, these are core truths. Justification by faith alone. Now, we'd stand up and fight for them. And rightly so. Uh, we looked uh, last time, just over the page, at chapter 16, verse 17. Uh, chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. 
Paul says, look, there are certain issues that are just important, and if people are teaching them, just separate. You, you have no unity with those people. If they're denying that Jesus Christ is the only way to know the Father, well, you, you know, that's just central to the faith. You can't, you know, you will separate from them. And of course, in our, um, in our culture, that sounds hard. Sounds quite harsh. But when you think about it, that is the loving thing to do. If someone is saying, I'm a Christian, but I believe that um, you can get to heaven by believing in uh, any God. It doesn't matter what God you believe in. All paths will lead to heaven. He'd want to say to them, no, you're wrong. And I want to put distance between us so you recognize you're wrong. And that's a loving thing to do for them. So it sounds harsh, but it, I mean, actually, it is the loving thing to do to point out when there's gross error. So you've got central core truths of the faith, and those are, you know, you, we've got to have them. Outside of them, you might say there's a category of serious importance. So you might put something like uh, the doctrine of predestination in there. You could argue, we can argue about where these go. But I think you might want to put something like predestination in there. So you can be a Christian and not believe in that. You know, a John Wesley is a good man who did great things for the Lord Jesus Christ who didn't believe in that. But I want to say, look, if, if you don't believe in predestination, that'll send you off wrong in all sorts of directions. That your, the whole of your Christian faith will be distorted. It'll, it'll, it'll have flaws everywhere and serious pastoral implications. There'll be problems. So that is, that's a serious thing to get wrong, even though you might not say it's quite core. Perhaps outside of that, you'd have significant issues. Baptism. Church government. Um, the, the, uh, the supernatural gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. Have they finished or are they still going today? For example, for myself on that one, I'm, I'm not a cessationist. I still believe that rightly understood the, the supernatural gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. They're still active today, rightly understood. Um, but uh, there are people I have a huge respect for who would say no. No, they, they stopped in the first century. They're no longer uh, uh, available. Now, I have huge respect for many who hold that position. I think they're probably wrong. But you see, it's not as serious as getting predestination wrong. If you believe that, the cessationist position that gifts have stopped, you'll make, you know, it's okay you know, in one sense. It's okay. I think you're wrong, but it doesn't completely affect the rest of your Christian life. Whereas predestination, see, it's just a bit more serious. It'll affect everything else. So I'd call that a slightly different category of significant. And then outside of that, freedom. Disputable matters. So some of you have emailed in things this week. Can Christians smoke? Um, yeah, you could do that if you're a Christian. I think that's a matter of freedom. Now, of course, you might want to say being addicted is not a good thing. It's not a good to be addicted to anything. You might want to say it's not the best way to use your money. But that said, it's still a matter of freedom. You can do it. I mean, you, know, you can do that. Um, can Christians shop on Sunday? Yeah, you can do that. You can do that. That's a matter of freedom, I think. For myself, as I read the New Testament, it seems to me that the New Testament still uh, emphasizes Sunday as a different day, a day for particularly worshipping the Lord, for gathering together and doing that. So, as I understand it, to spend all day, eight hours on a Sunday, I don't know how long the shops are open, but eight hours on Oxford Street, I think that would be a bit weird. But, you know, I'm not going to beat you over the head for that. 
you know, it's a matter of freedom. Um, But you see on some of these freedom matters, even though there is freedom, you can make a choice. On a number of them, the Bible would still lean in one direction. It's a matter of freedom, but you see, the Bible may still point. But the issue at stake here is, when the Bible isn't clear, don't impose a decision on someone else. There is freedom. But not all positions are wise. Uh, another one someone, um, someone gave me. Uh, Can I share a bedroom with my girlfriend if we don't misbehave? Well, again, that the Bible is silent on that, doesn't address that specific issue, but... You don't want to be wise. The Bible says other things. It says flee from temptation. It says be beyond reproach in the eyes of others. So those sort of comments would make you think, that's ah, not a good idea, is it? So in one sense, you could say it's an issue of freedom, but the Bible would probably nudge you in a certain direction. So even on these freedom matters, you know, you may lean towards one. Okay, maybe that's helpful. I mean, you could, this is somewhat arbitrary, these four categories. You could have four, six, eight, ten, three hundred and twenty. It gets a bit silly by then. But you know what I mean? I'm just saying there are different levels at which you want to argue. And one other qualification on that. If someone takes a freedom matter and insists upon it, it goes right to the heart of the target. So, for example, biblically, in, uh, in Galatia, in the book of Galatians, it's, it's quite clear what's going on. Paul elsewhere has said, look, circumcised, not circumcised, you know, it doesn't, it's a matter of indifference. But then in Galatia, people come along and tell new converts, you must be circumcised. You have to do that to live the Christian life. Now, once you insist upon it, it's a different matter. Paul at that point says, ha ha, you're false teachers. Let you be accursed. You're teaching another gospel. See, something which was an issue of freedom, if it's insisted upon, becomes central because they were saying they were undermining justification by faith alone. They're saying, yeah, you're justified by faith and circumcision. So you see how something can change. So someone might walk in here, um, uh, or I might talk to someone tonight, and they might say, now I believe, you know, I fast once a week for a day, and I think that's a really healthy spiritual practice. Good for you. Great. Go for it. I don't, but good for you. I think that's wonderful. Were they to come back next week and say, I fast once a week, and everyone must do that in the Christian life. Everyone at TBT must fast once a week. Now my response is different, or our response is going to be, be quiet. If you're insisting upon that, you're preaching another gospel. You're saying that what Jesus did wasn't enough, that we have to add to it by our fasting. So you see how something which can be an issue of freedom all of a sudden zooms into the center because you're attacking one of the central truths of the faith. Okay, now which circle does everything go into? You know, when you're reading an issue, when you're talking about issues, when we're chatting about things in church, you know, where do we put music? Is it central? Is it... How do you know which category to put things into? Well, it's not always a quick answer to that. The main answer is, We search the scriptures and work it out. Everything we need is here. But together then we'll sit down and think, okay, what does the Bible say? What does the whole Bible say on this matter? Let's sit down, work it out, and then we'll know if it's a core, central, you know, we must stand on this, or really if it's quite significant or if it's just an issue of freedom. But there's no shortcuts for many of these things. 
Let me, last thing on this, give you some questions which are helpful um, to, uh, to try and work out where things go. Is it, four little questions. Is it a command of Scripture or a, descri- uh, a description? So is it a narrative or normative? So when uh, the Bible says Samson didn't cut his hair, it'd be a mistake to go, ha ha, men, don't cut your hair. Samson didn't. The Bible says, don't cut your hair. No, that's taking something which is a, a, just a description and making it into a rule. Don't do that. We shouldn't do that. Uh, another little question, perhaps. Does it appear more than once? I'm very nervous about... Um, I think we should be nervous about building doctrine on a single verse. Oh, you can do it. But particularly if a verse is somewhat ambiguous, uh, we, need, we need to be wary about making a stand on just one verse sometimes, particularly if there's ambiguity attached to it. A third, does the work of Jesus make any difference? If we're looking at the Old Testament, it, it will to a number of these issues when we're talking about how we should live morally and ethically, um, because a number of the laws which are there in the Old Testament are different this side of the cross. We need to view them through the filter of the work of Jesus. So that'll make a difference. A fourth and last, what has the church historically thought on this issue and why? So if we discover, you know, for 2,000 years the church has taught X, but all of a sudden, in the year 2008, we've realized they're wrong. Well, you've got to be quite slow to do that. (laughs) Um, You'd want to be very, very slow. And, of course, that's currently the case on some of the matters which are causing division in the Anglican church, particularly on sexual morality. All of a sudden... We're more enlightened in the 21st century, and we discover that for 2,000 years the church was wrong. I mean, you've got to be, you know, that's a fairly foolish place to be. Hopefully those are some helpful things then on um, when is something disputable or not. Now, if you're still with me, I mean, you could be thinking here, sat here thinking, these Christians or this church, it's a bit obsessed with them pigeonholing things in a certain place. I mean, why not just live and let live? Well, come on, we just do this the whole time in the rest of life. Just be realistic. Imagine a father and a son. So a relationship between a father and a son, and the father wants to protect the son. So the son says, you know what, Dad? I'm going to go without food. I just don't think you need food in life. I'm going to go without it. Father probably says, you know what? That's a fairly central issue in life. Son, I'm telling you, Eat food. You've got to eat food. There's just no dispute on that. Don't eat food. You're in trouble. Okay, that's fairly cool. We recognize that. Uh, the son says uh, a couple of years later, Dad, I'm going to start taking drugs. Well, son, that's fairly significant. <laughs> that's very, very serious, in fact. Don't do that. But, you know, you, you could live if you did that, but really, you're on a dangerous path there. That's going to send the whole of your life into meltdown if you do that. Okay. A couple of years later, he might say, Dad, I think education's a complete waste of time and I'm dropping out of school the moment I can and even though I've got to be there till 16, I'm going to sit with plugs in my ears and learn nothing. I think education's a waste of time. Son, look, that doesn't damage your health. You won't instantly die from that. But I've got to tell you, that's daft. You're, you know, you're, you're wrong on that. And, you know, you don't want to do that. And then there's issues of freedom. Dad, I think the best music in the world is produced by Britney Spears. Well, son, <laughs> you're entitled to your opinion on that. That is an issue of freedom. 
I think we lean a long way the other way. I think there's a lot that points in another direction, but, you know, you could do that if you really wanted to, even though it appears to most sensible people a very silly place to be. You see, we do this all the time. It's just how we live our lives. We put things in these different areas. It's grey, of course, but we've got to do it together. That's why church community is so important. On our own, we can make mistakes and put things in the wrong place. Together, with the scriptures, we're unlikely to do that. That's why being in a family, a church family, is just so central to living the Christian life. Okay. Chapter 14. That was all the introduction. But we're halfway through, so fear not. Chapter 14. Chapter 14, then, is a freedom issue. The background, then, is this. Uh, There are two groups that Paul is really addressing here. There are those who are weak in his language. There are those from a Jewish background who have become Christians and are very nervous about eating meat. They, they, wouldn't have done, they wouldn't have eaten certain meats as a Jew, and, but they've become Christians, and they still don't think they want to do that. And then there are those who are quite happy eating meat. Now, the, the abstainers, the, the weak in Paul's language, the non-meat eaters, they look at the, um, the strong, the meat eaters, and think, well, you're inferior. You're inferior to us. We are better Christians. Abstaining from meat makes us a better Christian. Meanwhile, the meat eaters... They just mock. Oh, shut up. Come on. It would be just such a killjoy. I mean, meat, it's... Mm, mm, meat is good, you know. Why are you just so stuck in your ways? Just let, let us do... So this is the issue that's going on. That's the background. And so Paul, um, last time when we looked at verses 1 to 12, he really att- addressed attitude. 1 to 12 was all about our attitude when we got this dispute going on. And he said, look, don't judge one another. Leave that to God, but accept one another. Don't judge. It was all about our attitudes last time. And here then in this uh, second half, 13 to the end of uh, chapter 14, Paul focuses on behavior. What actually should we do? Once we've got the right attitude of not being judgmental, what should we practically do? And in a nutshell, he says, don't insist on your rights, act in love. I could very happily sit down. That's the section, really. Don't insist upon your rights, but act in love. He's really addressing the strong in this point, those who do eat meat. Love, not rights. Now, in our culture, that's a bit difficult because we're obsessed with rights. I mean, in the 21st century, people are obsessed with, uh, this, I'm entitled to this, this is my right, I need to have this. You know, I, I, the thing that winds me up, um, you know, when you um, sometimes watch daytime TV, if I'm at the gym and, you know, you're, there are 20 morons in the room, uh, you know, on the, um, on the treadmills, etc., looking at the screens, and there's the NAF daytime TV. And there's all those adverts for, you know, fell off your ladder at work, we can make you, you, know, you, can, you, know, you can make you some money. You know, you're, you're entitled to something. So, you know, there's always this sort of nice, gentle um, woman comes on so you're not, you don't think you're being threatening and you're, you're encouraged to ring someone to blame.com or, um, or the similar. We'll send everyone else's insurance premiums through the roof.co.uk by uh, taking the insurance companies for a ride. There's this sort of culture of rights. I've got a right. Something's gone wrong. I've got a right to it. I, you know, I'm entitled to this. Give me what, I'm, give me what I deserve and what I'm entitled to by the state. No, 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 no. Paul says in a church, that's an awful attitude. Love, 
not rights. That's what we should um, be concerned with. So two little things I put on the sheet then, uh, and we go through them pretty quickly. What should we do, and why should we do it? What should we do? Well, Paul says to the strong, those who do eat meat, you're free. Yeah, you're free, but don't cause distress. You're free, but don't cause distress. Let's um, reread uh, this little section, uh, the first bit from, um, uh, from verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put us any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. So Paul says, verse 14, you know what, meat eaters? You're right. You are theologically correct. You can eat meat. Go to the shops. Go and get your barbie out. Go and chuck prawns and steak and sausages. on. Just go and have a good time. That's fine. You're absolutely right. Go, to, uh, go out for a meal and have a bloody uh, rare steak. You know, you can do that. That's in, you, know, you could go and have a posh restaurant and have a raw steak if you really want to. I've never really got that myself. But um, you can do that. Meat is fine, meat eaters. Go and, have it, go and do that. You're right. But... Don't do it if it's going to distress someone else in the church. Don't do it in front of the weak if it will be a stumbling block for them, verse 13. Or it will cause them distress, verse 15. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. You have a perfect right to go and eat your meat. But don't do it if it will cause someone else to stumble. Let's uh, take some sort of practical example to try and uh, help think through the details. Let's take the example of uh, going to the pub. Not a big issue, I don't think, for us at church. If you're a visitor, we're not obsessed with any of this. But it's just helpful to have a a practical example to put some flesh on the bones. Let's take that example then. Now, I take it that the majority in this church on that sort of issue would be strong. No problem with uh, walking out of here and uh, going and having a a drink at the pub. And theologically, you're right. Okay? So there you go. But some here will be weak on the issue and uncomfortable with that. It may be there's a, a history of alcohol dependence in your past or you come from a Christian culture where going from church to the pub, that's, that's just weird. Um, I think of a, a chap I knew who came over to the UK from Peru, Xavier. That was just, just abominable to him. He couldn't do that. I mean, it it was really an issue for him. How can Christians, he was a Christian, how can Christians do that and still call themselves a Christian? Do you not know what harm alcohol does to people? So so some people will be weak on the issue, although I take it most here would be strong. Now, Paul would say, drinking in moderation is fine. Yeah, you can go to the pub. No problem with that. Go and have a drink. In moderation, go and do that. No problem. But... If it causes distress to someone, if Xavier is with you, then don't do that. Because he'll be freaked out by that. It'll really unsettle him. Oh, you could go and just say, well, Xavier, you don't like it. You stay here on your own. Brilliant. Brilliant. 
Um, so if he, you can do it, no problem. But if someone is distressed, upset, it will be a stumbling block for them. Don't do that. Why not? Well, as I say, it gets, the language gets stronger. So verse 13, you might be a stumbling block. Verse 15, your brother could be distressed. But the language gets stronger. So look down to verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God. Or verse 21. Don't cause, um, it is better not to eat meat or drink or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Or even at the very end, verse 23. You could, uh, the man who has doubts is condemned. So why not just go to the pub and um, drag Xavier along? So come on, Xavier, I know you feel a bit uncomfortable, but it's fine, we've got freedom in Christ. Why not just take him with us as we go? Because it would cause him to stumble. It might lead to him being condemned. It might lead to him losing his faith. I mean, how does that, you know, seems a bit strong, doesn't it? How can that happen? How can going to the pub with someone who... Uh, is a Xavier, who perhaps is a teetotaler, who thinks it's wrong for Christians to go and do that. How can that cause so much harm? Verse 14. Let's read from there. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. You see, if Xavier, who thinks it's wrong, Oh, he's, a, he's a mythical man, but anyway, he's a real guy. If Xavier, who thought going, to the, going for, for Christians to pour out of church, straight into, if for him who thought it was wrong to do that himself, he's going against his conscience. In his own head, it goes a bit like this. God, I don't think Christians should do that, but I'm going to go along with the crowd and do it anyway. So he's acting... Contrary to faith. In his own head, how that works is, I don't think this is right, but I am going to disobey you, Lord. And you're encouraging him, or we are encouraging him, to disobey what he believes the Lord wants him to do. And that's dangerous. That's not good. To think, I believe God wants X, but I'll do Y instead. Effectively, in your own mind, you're, you're disobeying the Lord willfully. And that's a slippery slope, I guess, says Paul. If you get into that sort of mindset, you're on a slippery slope, I'm going to disobey, I think it's not right, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, when does that stop? And that is, that's not faith. That's not trusting in God, knowing, thinking that he, he knows best. You're on a pathway that might lead you abandoning your faith to destruction, condemnation, he says. So do you get this? Here's the key point uncleanness, it's not in the food or the drink. It's in the motive. Why am I doing this? If I think it's fine, if I'm strong, no problem. Go and do it. If I think it's sinful, if I think it's wrong for Christians to do that, and I go and do that, then there's a problem. Because in my own head, I'm disobeying the Lord. So, uh, verse 15, let's read on. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So to cajole, encourage Xavier to go to the pub when he doesn't want to, that's not loving. It's not loving. It's not being kind. 
Um, verse 16, do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Because if we do that, Xavier and others will probably look on and think, well, you've got your freedom, and that's good. But look what you're doing. You're using your freedom, your correct understanding, your strong faith, and you're using it to lead someone else to sin in their own eyes. That's, that's not good, is it? Even though you're correct, meat eaters, pub goers, you're correct, you can do that. And that's a good thing. But if you take that good thing and make others do it when they're not comfortable, that's not good. You're doing evil, effectively. So rather, what should we do instead? Rather, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That's what we want to care about, building people up, edification. Don't destroy God, so don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food, verse 20. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes him to stumble. 21, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So he repeats himself in this section. Don't insist upon your rights. Love them. You can do that. Yeah, you're free to, but love them. That's the important thing. So he uh, summarizes at the end of the passage. Verse 22 is a word to the strong who think it's fine to eat meat, fine to drink. So, verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. That's fine. You're correct, says Paul. You can go and eat meat. You can go to the pub after, after the church. No problem. As long as no one else feels excluded. If you feel, make someone else feel excluded, if you drag them along with you with their unwilling, then you've made a mistake. Don't go to the pub. Go to Starbucks or somewhere else. That's what he says to the strong. And then his final word to the weak, verse 23. The man who has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Do you see why, why, if you think it's not right for you to go to the pub and you do, why would you do that? Because you're saying, Lord, I, I want their approval more than yours. And that's not faith. That's not trusting God. So that's why he says, everything that is not come from faith, it's, it's sin. So there's the, uh, there's the main issue, really. What should we do? We're free. On all these issues of freedom, yeah, we're free to do them, as long as we don't cause distress to someone else. That's the key. Okay, that's, what the, that's the principle. What should we do? Why? Briefly, then, why? Why should we do it? Because that's the kingdom priority. Verses 17 to 19. It's the priority of the kingdom. That's how we're to live. Let's read them. Let's pick it up from 16. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. 17.4. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. You see what he's saying? He's saying, get your priorities right. Jesus Christ cares about righteousness, peace, joy. And whether you eat meat or not, whether you go to the pub after church or not, I mean, you know, 
It's, it's a matter of indifference, really. But these things, living what you are in Jesus Christ, and because of him we are righteous, we have peace with God. But I think Paul's point here is now live that way. Live a life of, live a life in accordance with righteousness, a life of peace. You're different now, you belong to the kingdom. You know the classic sort of old Robin Hood film or even Kevin Costner? Well, that probably seems old. But um, there's always a bad King John, and under bad King John, the reign is awful, so Robin Hood's the only good guy in the whole of the nation. So bad King John, and everyone is corrupt and doing what they want and pleasing themselves. Until good King Richard comes back, and... Uh, oh, dear, where, where could this go? The... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> A good King Richard comes back, and he's a noble king, a humble king. He serves his people, you know, he goes around in disguise and does good deeds, and then, ta-da, I'm Richard, oh, you're wonderful, you know, you're the good, the noble one. Um, And things change when the good king returns. People live differently. People take on the character of the king. He has a different kingdom. That's the point here. Look, don't be self-serving. Don't stand on your rights. When you're a Christian, you should want to take the attitude of your king. Not thinking, I'm entitled to this. I have freedom in the Christian faith. I can do whatever I want in this regard. Yeah, it's true, but love. That's what you should do. Get these further encouragements. Verse 18, anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. This is worship. This is worship. To say, actually, I'd really like to do this, but for Xavier's sake, I won't. Well, that's serving the Lord. That's worshipping him. That's a delight to God. He looks down and thinks, you've got it. You understand my kingdom. It's not all about you. It's about serving others, about loving others. He's delighted with that. That's worshipping him, this sort of restraint of rights in order to love. And others will notice too. Verse 20, others will look on and be, and be approving. That's good. It's the right way to live. And sneaking ahead to last week, uh, next week, last thing. If we needed any further encouragement, chapter 15, verse 2. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now, we'll look at that properly next week. But just to simply say, Jesus didn't stand on his rights. He didn't stand there in heaven and think, well, I'm entitled to the full glory of God and, and stuff everyone else. No, he left his glory and came to earth. He didn't stand on his rights. He came on earth to love. He came to earth to die. And he says, look, Paul says, look, look remember your king. Remember what he's like. Let him inspire you. Let him change you. And live that way. Don't stand on your rights. Love. That's why we're to do it. So how do we handle church disputes? Well, there's some thinking to do. We've got to work out what the scriptures say, what category is in. If it's a matter of freedom, love. Don't demand what you're entitled to. Don't do something you're not happy with. Love. Let's pray together.
Father, we pray we would be those who make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. We pray that even when we're entitled to something, we will be those who act in love, knowing that this is the model of the kingdom. This is what the Lord Jesus did. And living this way is serving him, a delight to you. So we be a church marked by this sort of love. Amen. Time for maybe one or two quick questions if anyone wants to ask anything. Um, on this, perhaps slight grey areas of uh, church disputes, what's disputable, what's not. Jules. Okay. Jules helpfully asked the question, um, they're always going to have these issues of weak and strong. Uh, do we just go for the lowest common denominator? So we, we, we sit here and sing nothing and do nothing which might offend, I mean, I'm exaggerating, you know, to make the point. But you, in one sense, you could just be so constrained by never offending anyone with anything that you never do anything. You just sit. And even then, some people like standing, so you're in trouble. Um, uh, so Jules raised it again the, on the alcohol issue. Uh, the point here in, one, uh, the, um, in Romans 14, is this going to cause someone to stumble? In doing it, in having alcohol at a mission event, are we making someone do something that is sinful in their own heads? Now, that is different from, I just don't like it. So that's different from, I think it's a bit odd that we have alcohol in the church at mission events. That isn't the same as, and you're making me do it, and I think it's a sin, and in my own head I'm disobeying God when I do this. You see, there is a difference between those two. And there may well be people here who really feel that that, that latter strongly. I mean, this chap I, I met, Xavier, he felt that pretty strongly. For him to have to dragged him from church into the pub, he, he would have felt he was disobeying his law by doing that. I'm not sure anyone here, I've not heard anyone here feel that strongly on the matter. They may just think, oh, it seems a bit odd to me. I'm not sure, you know, I wouldn't do that if I was in charge. Um, yeah. But you see, this, the level of distress here is pretty acute. They really think they're going against their conscience. And we don't want to make people do that. And if there's a good alternative... So at the Lord's Supper, of course, on Thursday, which we shared, some people don't want to have alcoholic wine. That's right. There's non-alcoholic option. Doesn't cause, you know, no great fuss. Doesn't cause distress. So a number of these things are easily overcome without great conflict. But thank you. That's a helpful, helpful point made. We don't want just to reduce everything and do nothing just because of little personal peccadilloes. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big issue here that someone is really upset by. Thank you. Uh, so yes, verse, um, verse 22, I think, let me, tell you if, let me tell me if I haven't got you correctly. I'm struggling to hear slightly. But verse 22, blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. That's just talking about the strong man who's quite happy eating meat. He's, you know, he can do that on his own. He can do it in his own home. And that seems to be the point of verse 22. When there's a conflict and it's causing someone great distress, just go off and do it on your own then. Go and have your barbecue on your own but don't do it in front of them. Okay, and you're talking about Christians, friends? Okay, so again, in the 21st century, there'll be issues that Christians disagree on, the Bible is silent on. Um, but I'm not sure, yeah, example, sexual issues. I'm not sure the Bible is, that, is silent on those. I think it's quite clear. 
Okay, so example, example drugs, uh, drug abuse. Um, so, uh, yes, the... Um, Okay, mild drugs. <laughs> uh, we're getting narrowed, narrowed down. Of course, there are a whole number of issues with drugs. There's illegal and breaking the law. Um, uh, but mild drugs, which in some countries might be legal, uh, I, I guess then the same laws are pertaining to the same issues are pertaining as to alcohol. Um, don't be controlled by it. Don't be mastered by it. Be mastered by the spirit. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, so thank you, thank you. So there's, a, there's one practical example then of uh, masturbation. The Bible doesn't say don't do it, but it leads you into very unhelpful places. Yeah, it does. And so the Bible would have lots of verses which pertain to it, similar to the um, sharing a bedroom but not misbehaving. I mean, the Bible doesn't have a specific verse which says don't do that. But lots of other verses, flee immorality, be beyond, beyond reproach, um, do not arouse love before it's ready, which would make you say... That's got to be really, really unwise, even though there's no one verse.